inside the, the communities where they live. Some of them have decided they want to be ministers or missionaries. We, from right here at our church family, we've had a missionary in the South Pacific on the Marshall Island. One of our girls that was raised here was a youth minister. One of the teens raised here was a missionary for 10 years in Africa. He's now a pastor up in Washington State. We have, uh, we have another young man who grew up here, and he is a missionary in Asia right now with his family. We have a young man who grew up here, and he, he's on the board of a deal called Soul Hope. They provide shoes for kids who don't have any shoes, and they provide hope for kids who don't have any hope around the world. And he's on the board of that international organization. And then we have some two college students. Well, there's a church in Dallas, and it's a large church, and every year they hire one youth minister male intern and one youth minister female intern to help with their youth ministry there in Dallas. And get this, the two that they chose this year from all the youth ministry interns they could choose, the male is Colin Bovary, and the female is Raina Duncan. How about that? And you guys right here, you guys helped raise those two. We were all a part of that. And now they're going to Dallas and they're going to help spread the gospel to hundreds of teenagers. And there are teens in our group now that we're praying. We're praying for you teenagers. We're praying that you'll be the next group that will go out and you will be the light of the world. And there are some of the teens in our youth group who have decided they want to either be a minister or a youth minister or go into some kind of full-time ministry. And one of those is Brandon Reynolds. And Brandon has been raised up here and he has felt the call of God on his life to go into ministry and he is preparing for that right now. And he has spoke here before with me and today he and I are going to share this pulpit again. He is an awesome awesome speaker and he has a great heart and I'd like for all of you to give a huge gateway welcome to one of our own Brandon Reynolds Brandon come on <laughs> good morning church the Christmas story it's something I have, I've heard since I was, before I could walk, I knew what the meaning of Christmas was. I knew that it was about a little baby who came so many years ago and saved us all. And there's certain parts to this story that I think kind of get left out. And one of those, a very important part, I think, is Joseph. I think Joseph is a good example of how a father should be and how we should live our lives. So I'm going to start by reading the story of the angel visiting Joseph. This now is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save all his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So there's many aspects to this story that we can look over, but I'm just trying to put myself in the place of Joseph. Now, I've never been a dad, as shocking as that is. Um, but I'm going to try my hardest. Now, the first emotion I see Joseph feeling is anger. Because the woman he is meant to be married to is now pregnant. And she's telling him that this baby is from the Holy Spirit. And any human would think that's insane. I mean, just it's you're saying that God gave you a child without doing what is necessary to have a child. And I mean, I would be angry because I would feel like one, Mary was lying to me. And two, that Mary had gone against our gone against our engagement and been with someone else. But when that angel came to him in that dream. I think all of his doubts were wiped away instantly because he was visited by God himself, by a messenger of God. And this messenger told him, listen, Mary's telling you the truth and don't be mad with her. So when I wake up from that dream, I would also feel another kind of anger. I would feel anger at my people because now I'm defending my wife. I'm defending her against all these accusations that she slept with another man. Because I believe that God gave her this child. And I would be angry at my people for trying to reject her because they won't believe what she's saying and what I'm saying. And that would hurt me because they're my people and they're her people, but yet they don't want to believe that God is blessing her and giving her this child. Now, fast forward a couple months. Uh, we're in a barn we have a, we're just having a baby, and I know that this is the savior of the world. There's some other emotions that would come with that. One of them would be unworthiness. Just the fact that I am meant to raise the son of God. I mean, no one, no one could ever feel worthy of that. I mean, the fact that God chose me to raise his son, that would just make me feel somewhat good, but mostly feel small about myself. Because I know that I could never be the father that he deserved. I mean, he's the son of God. I could never be worthy of raising him. No one could. And that would be my only consolation, is that no one could ever be worthy of raising him. And another emotion I would feel would be fear. Because the religion, the Jewish religion, they believed the Messiah was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom. 
So if you believe that Jesus is coming to set up an earthly kingdom, there's going to be plenty of people that are going to be out to get him. And it's going to be my job to protect him and his mother. And that would be scary. Because it's the most powerful men in the world at that point coming after me and my family. And that would terrify me. Because Joseph didn't have a lot of power. He was a carpenter. He didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have a lot of power. I would be scared. Because it would be up to me to protect the Son of God against nations coming against him. Another thing I would feel would be worry. I would feel worry for my son. I would feel worry that I couldn't make his life what it was supposed to be. I couldn't be the father he was meant, he was meant to have. And I couldn't raise him the way I ought to be because I'm just a carpenter. I don't make a lot of money. Yet I have to provide for this boy and his mother. And I would be worried about his mother's health. I mean, she, had, she just made a 70-mile trip on a donkey and gave birth in a barn. And that can't be the most healthy thing to do. I would be very concerned about that. And I would be worried about all these people that were coming after my son. But most... I think strongest for me, if I was Joseph, would be worry that I couldn't be the father that my son deserved. Because I'm a human, and he was sent from God. And the fact that I'm a human immediately makes me unworthy to be his father. And there's one emotion I think Joseph would have felt at the end, and that's pride. Not a sinful pride, but a pride in what God was doing. A pride that God had seen him and chosen him to be the father of his son. God had seen him him and chose him to raise his son. I would feel this extreme amount of pride in what God was doing for my people. That God was willing to send his own son to die just so my people could be saved. And I would feel an extreme amount of pride that God chose me to raise him. See, Joseph was tasked with something very difficult. He was tasked with raising the Savior. We've all been tasked with something difficult as well. Joseph was tasked with raising the Savior. We've been tasked with spreading the Savior to the world. And when I think about spreading the word of the Savior, I feel fear and I feel worry. I don't really feel anger, but that's because I know what he's done for me. But I, feel, I fear that other people might feel anger toward me for trying to share him with them. And I feel unworthiness because Christ came and saved me, a sinner, and I would never be worthy of being able to spread his word. But then, once I finally talk to someone about Jesus and about what he did, I would feel that little moment of pride. And that little moment of pride would make it all worth it. And I think that's what Joseph felt is that moment of pride and that moment of knowing that God chose him made everything else just fade away, made all the other emotions just disappear because he knew his purpose and he knew God had chosen him to do that. We've all been told our purpose through the Bible and God has chosen all of us to do that. So we need to use that 
to get rid of all the other emotions that we can feel this Christmas. I mean, Christmas is the perfect time to share the message of Jesus. But it's also sometimes the scariest because you're with family or you're with friends who might not want to hear about it. But it's the perfect time to use that example of, you know why we celebrate Christmas, right? You have that perfect leading into saving someone. So I just encourage you all to be like Joseph this season and use that little moment of pride to possibly save someone's soul. Brendan talked about Joseph being chosen, and you know what that feels like, don't you? To be chosen, you've been chosen before. Maybe in high school, you got a part in the play, or maybe at the high school prom, someone asked you to dance and you were chosen. Or it was when you got a job and you were chosen for that job, or you got the promotion, you were chosen. Or at your church, you've been chosen to read scripture or to help be a greeter or to do some other ministry. You have been chosen in your life, and you know what it feels like. It feels pretty good to be chosen. You'll be chosen again for other things. But Mary, wow. You want to talk about being chosen. Let's read about it. Let's see how amazing this was from Luke chapter 1, the choosing of Mary. In the sixth month, I'm beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, now here, here is the choosing. Here's when she was chosen right here. Greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary's got a question for the angel. She's a little confused. How can this be? Since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And listen to Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left. Wow. You want to talk about being chosen. In fact, the angel says more than chosen, she's favored. More than favored, she's highly favored. I think of being favored. If there's ever a time in your life when you're favored, I think of that as success. I think of favored as the time when all the doors swing open easily. The pathway is cleared and, and it's an easy path to walk on. That's what I think of when I think of someone being favored. And Mary's 
life was those things. But don't forget, her life included suffering, didn't it? Her life included a lot of suffering. First of all, the humiliation, as Brandon talked about, the humiliation that Mary must have felt of being misunderstood. I'm sure there came a time when she just got tired of even saying it anymore to her family or to Joseph or her friends or relatives. Oh yeah, we've heard the Holy Spirit story. Sure, thanks a lot, Mary. And she probably just gave up because she had been misunderstood and humiliated. Highly favored? At that moment, that must not have felt very highly favored. And then there was the uncomfortable changes that happened in her life of being pregnant and giving birth in a barn and then having to run to Egypt to get away from a king. I heard this little story that was from a Bible class teacher. The teacher was telling the Christmas story and gave all the kids crayons and asked them to draw a picture of their favorite part of the Christmas story. She went around and looked at the pictures. One of the kids drew an airplane. She said, huh, interesting. Now, which part of the Christmas story is this? And the little boy said, this is the flight to Egypt. <laughs> he said, look right here in the back, right in the back. There's Joseph and Mary and Jesus. They had to sit in the back in coach because they were poor and couldn't afford first class. <laughs> and the teacher said, well, who's that in the front? He said, that's the pilot. His name is Pontius. <laughs> Pretty good. It would have been nice if they could have taken an airplane, but they had to run, didn't they? They ran away from the most powerful politician to Egypt, and then they were there without parents. Her mom's not there to see Jesus' first steps or hear his first words. Wow. Those kind of uncomfortable changes are highly favored. They must not have felt that way at the moment. And then think about the family strife that's coming. A day is coming when the younger brothers of Jesus are not going to get along with Jesus himself. They're going to be in strife. And we all know as parents when our kids are not getting along, that crushes our hearts. There would come a time when actually Mary and the other children would go to take Jesus because they were worried about his mental stability. And they would hear him say, my family is here. My family are not my mother and my brothers. My family are the people who, did, who do the will of the Lord, who do the will of God. That had to stab her in the heart. Highly favored. There had to be uncomfortable changes that felt not highly favored. And finally, of course, she had to stand at the cross and watch her son, after being tortured, be killed. That's highly favored. There had to be moments when it didn't feel highly favored. And maybe for you today, maybe you're sitting in this audience today and you have some of these similar emotions. Maybe you've been misunderstood recently. Maybe you've been humiliated. Maybe it's possible that you're in some very uncomfortable changes in your life right now. Maybe there's terrible family strife in your family. Maybe you've had a terrible loss, a tragedy. I want you to know this, Mary... She knows your pain. She knows what that feels like. But Mary knows something besides pain. Mary knows what it means to be highly favored. Because she got one promise. One promise that made the whole difference. The Lord is with you, Mary. The Lord is with you. Mary knows 
that highly favored has little to nothing to do with your circumstances of your life. It has everything to do with proximity, with closeness, with intimacy. And that's what she got to experience with God. She got to rock Jesus to sleep and feed him at her breast and raise him at her table and watch him grow up in her home. That is proximity to the Lord. That is closeness. That is intimacy. And she knew she was highly favored because of that one promise. And so I'm here to say to all of us who are followers of Jesus, all of us who follow this baby who grew up to be our Savior, you may be suffering this Christmas. You may be angry this Christmas. You may be bitter. You may have horrible circumstances going on. But I'm here to tell you this one thing this morning. And that is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are highly favored. And here's the reason. Because his name is Emmanuel. God with us. And his promise is, I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. You are highly favored. And may our response be as Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as he wills. May we answer the same way she did those 2,000 years ago. Let's sing this next song. Get rid of me that easy, did you? Okay, so... We've talked about two people in the Christmas story. We've talked about Joseph and we've talked about Mary. But we haven't talked about what I think the most important person is yet. I want you all to do something for me. I want you all to imagine that you have always been with God. Always, since the beginning, you were with God. And then one day God comes up to you and he tells you, listen, uh, we need to have a talk. Yeah, you're going to have to go to earth. And you're going to have to die. And you're going to have to live through everything that man has to live to, through. And not only are you going to have to die, but it's going to be a very painful and hard death. See, I'm not going to preach on what I would feel in that moment. Because I know what I would feel, none of it would be good. I would feel terrible about what God was doing to me. But I'm going to preach about what Jesus would have felt. One thing I think Jesus would have felt when God came up to him was bravery, empowerment. Because when God came up to him and told him, you have to go die, at first, I would feel a little bit of fear, but then instantly I would know, wait, God's going to be with me. I mean, I have nothing to fear because God's going to be with me. And because this is my purpose. I don't think Jesus was excited to come die, but I think he was ready to do it. Because I think when God came to Jesus and told him, you have to do this, Jesus was like, yeah, I do. You want to know why I have to do this? Because all of those people down there need saving. And if I have to be the one to go die to bring it to him, then let's do it. And that emotion shows another one that he would have felt, which is love. 
If Jesus did not love us and did not love God, then he would have had no reason to come here and die for us. He would have had no reason to come be born in a manger in a barn to a teenager and a carpenter if he did not love each and every one of you in here and each and every person on this earth and he did not love God. Jesus was tasked with doing his father's will. And if he didn't love his father, then he wouldn't have wanted to do it. But I think because of the love that we see that God has for the father, for all of our father, then it's not even a question whether he's going to come down here and die and be a human and save all of us because he knows it's his father's will. I mean, when your father asks you to do something, most of the time you do it. But if you're Jesus, well, then you do it instantly. But I also think there were some emotions that wouldn't have been so fun. I think a strong sense of disappointment would have come over Jesus. The fact that we, as humans, had gotten to the point where our only hope of salvation was for him to come die for us, I mean, that had to disappoint him. Because God, and Jesus has been watching this. Jesus has been with him since the beginning. So he's seen everything God's done. And God has given us chance after chance after chance to repent and to save ourselves, but we can't do it. And he's given us so many years to do it, but we won't. So our only hope is for him to come and die for us. That's a, I would feel a strong sense of disappointment in the world because of that. I would also feel compassion. I'd feel compassion that they had gotten so far gone that I was their only hope. That they had sinned to the point where they could not even have a hope of saving themselves. And that strong sense of compassion, that strong I would feel so bad for them that I would have to go do something about it. And one thing that would get me through it would be faith. Jesus is the most faithful person I've ever heard about, read about, anything. Because the second God told him he had to do this, he goes, okay, I know you're going to be with me the whole way. And I know you're going to protect me. And I know I'm going to go have to die. And I know I'm going to go have to get the keys of hell, but I know in the end you are going to be standing right here and you're going to welcome me back with open arms. And that day is going to be so good that the rest of it doesn't even matter. He had such strong faith in God that all the suffering and pain that he was going to go through didn't mean anything to him because he knew God was faithful and that God was going to be with him. And then there's one more emotion I think Jesus would have felt. And it is the emotion that is the most shown in the birth. And that's humility. Jesus is choosing to go from the highest of highs, the most powerful being in the universe, to a lowly baby in a manger. Born to a teenager and a carpenter. A carpenter was not very rich. And he was born in a barn surrounded by animals with his only company being his parents and shepherds. Jesus did not have 
a glamorous birth. He didn't have near the birth he deserved. But he chose to be the most humble person that has ever existed. He chose to be so humble that he would go from being with God everywhere he went to being in a manger as a human, as a baby, which is the weakest thing. That kind of humility is crazy. It takes a crazy amount to love, amount of love to have that kind of humility. That humility is shown two places in Jesus' life. One of them is at the birth, and another one is at the cross. Jesus came to save us, and he knew he was going to have to die. So that same humility, when he submitted to being tortured and being beaten and being mocked, getting spit on, getting his clothes torn, and getting every humiliating thing that could happen done to him, and then finally being raised up on a cross just so they could sit there and watch him suffer and die. When in an instant he could have called 10,000 legions of angels to destroy the world, no one would have known what have happened. But Christ was so humble that he knew he couldn't do that. And he knew his place was to die. Why do we not imitate that kind of humility? I mean, there is a reason that in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says, your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very true nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ is the ultimate view of humility. And without Christ's humility, we wouldn't have Christmas because there wouldn't have been a birth to celebrate. Christ would have come and taken over the world and everything would be great, but it would not be the way it was meant to happen. And there would be no Christmas. So just think about that. Think about the amazing humility that it took for Christmas to even exist. For Christ to come down and be born in a lowly situation. We're celebrating the birth of the Savior. But I think even more than that, we're celebrating the humility that it took to come down here and save us.